Thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of our show. To stay up to date on future guests joining me for a cocktail and conversation, follow at Critical Role on Twitter. And now, let me introduce our guest for this episode. I've often said Felicia Day is too smart for my lowbrow sense of humor. She's quite possibly the smartest and hardest working person I've met. Today we discuss motherhood, growing up isolated and smart, her journey from singing, acting, violin, ballet, and being valedictorian to being an internet icon and a pioneer in a field many people hadn't figured out yet. Felicia was a delight. Enjoy. Okay, Felicia, welcome. Hey! Let's begin. Let's do it. Cheers. Mm. This is called a Caduceus Colada. Caduceus Colada? It's named after... Um, the Caduceus of the medical profession? Yeah, 100%. So are we two snakes? Ooh, that's good. It is really good. Is the Caduceus thing the snake swallowing its own tail? No, that's, no, that's the benzene ring. Or Aurorobus. Aurorobus? You're already drunk and there's no, no booze in No, there's no booze in here. <laughs> The Aurora, Aurora Borealis. No, it's Auroribus, I think. That's the snake swallowing. I've never said the word. Tail. Yeah, I've never said the word out loud. I've only read it. Yeah. But I think it's Auroribus. Is that? No, the, the, the Caduceus is the two. It's like the, it's the guy. Symbol, it's the symbol of Hermes. Oh. But then it's been co opted because Hermes was the god of med- medicine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why medicine. Medical. This one's named after Taliesin's current character on Critical Role Caduceus. His first one died tragically. I remember that incident. There was an upheaval. There was an. There's still an upheaval. Have you ever had a character die in a game you've played, like an art, like a role playing thing where you're like? Yeah, but I've been killed over and over again in television. So yeah, that's I kind of know the feeling. <laughs> I'm very killable. Were you ever super attached to a character, like uh, really attached, and then when you were getting killed, you're like, oh fuck. Uh yeah no I mean supernatural I played that character for. That was a long time. Yeah, three seasons, four seasons, four seasons. Four seasons, and then they kill me off. And I mean, you can't do anything. You just do what they need. You know, it's not my show. Yeah, I show of course. Up and I've been professional, but it was very heart wrenching. Yeah, because the character really embodied somebody I want to be. Yeah, and she meant a lot to the fans too. So it was kind of like this devil thing. Like we all love her, and then it's just like, oh no. Yeah. But yeah, they brought me back in a kind of different iteration. So, um, but yeah, it was very hard. That would be tough. Yeah, it was part of being a family. Yeah. And then you don't get to go to your family again. It's like, oh no. Is it weird to come into a show like that that existed for so long before you got there? And obviously everyone's so tight. Yeah, you, you know, in. I only did the show. So I did that show. Um, we were launching Geek and Sundry, actually. It was in 2012. And we were launching Geek and Sundry that, the next month. Oh, wow. A lot on your Literally. And they I sent this, they sent the script over. And I was like, I can't do this right now. I'm about to launch a company. Like, we had had 20 hours of content to release day one. I was like, absolutely not. And I read mm-hmm. the script. I was like, oh, I can't not do this. This part is so perfect. Also, this show's going to get canceled. <laughs> it's been on for seven years, which uh, was what Buffy went. I was on season seven of Buffy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was like, I got to get in while I want to be on the show before it ends. And then cut to, and it was only supposed to be one episode. So then they wrote her in over and over again. I think I've done like 10 or 12 or something over the years. I don't yeah. Know. So, yeah, it was just, I had to make, I was like, bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, sorry, I have this other thing going on. Yeah. grew up in Alabama. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah. How well, I grew that? up in Alabama, Mississippi, and other places. That area? South, Texas. 
Kentucky, Virginia. Did you move a lot? Yeah, my dad was in the military. So military he was brat. a doctor. So he, they paid for his education to become, he became a, uh, a plastic surgeon. Wow. In the military. So, wow. Yeah, it was cool. Um, so he had to go a lot of places to train. I mainly grew up in Alabama and Mississippi, though. What was being a military kid like? My All my cousins are military kids. Every single one of my uncles is, is oh, retired yeah. or active military. I mean, it's uh, like, I don't know anything different. Mm -hmm. I was homeschooled, so it was a little bit odder since I wasn't, you know, I like I think the experience of like moving from town to town and having a different school every time is probably jarring, but I didn't have school, so we just kind of like moved. It was still an upheaval. I think you just don't put down roots. Um, I think that's why I... I got so attached to video games because that was the only way consistently I could con communicate with people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, also military bases are interesting because my dad was in the, mil uh, the military hospital. And so if something happened, you just go in and they take care of you. There's no mm. insurance problems. Like you're Process. just taken care of. Yeah. And so, you know, when I see these people like fighting for this health system now, I'm like, um, I grew up where you just get taken care of. Mm -hmm. And that's how everyone should be taken care of like they are in every other country that's civilized. Right, exactly. <laughs> so like, yeah. it's weird, you know, you have, but also there's like guys in uniform all the time and there's people with guns everywhere and you see F-16s, you know. Mm -hmm. So it is a little bit of a different experience. I never thought about it like that. Was it strict because the expectations of, you know, behavior for a kid who's, No, I was just know. a weird hippie. We lived off base. So we're just, you know. I was a weird homeschool kid, so I, we had less exposure. We'd just go there to shop. You know, they have special grocery stores, and they have special, you know, places you could work out, like date. You know, my mom would drop me off at night if they wanted to go on a date or whatever. So yeah. they look like at daycare. So there were a lot of facilities that took care of the, you know, the troops and their families on the base. But we lived off base. We had mm. a house off base, so we just kind of stayed there. Did they have a movie theater? They did. I remember I was terrified. Cool. My mom told me to see aliens at, like, 8 no way. And I was so terrified I had to sit on the bench outside. And she stayed in there. <laughs> She's like, go outside, she, wuss. I'm going to finish exactly, this Exactly. That's how my mom did. <laughs> yeah. That's my mom. Something I always am so fascinated by with people that were homeschooled, because I have a lot of friends who grew up homeschooled. Oh, right. And the result of that kind of educational upbringing mm -hmm. is varied, right? Yeah. Some people respond to it very well and then go on to have super successful careers and everything else. And other people felt sheltered and sort of like they didn't get that social experience that they wanted or needed. Yeah. It doesn't seem like to me, knowing you for as long as we've known each other, that you really felt like you missed out on anything in that regard as far as, you know, but how, I mean, how was it? I, I was really lonely as a kid, I think. Yeah. I think that I was always kind of trying to get out of the house. Um, I didn't necessarily want to be in school, but I wanted like closer friendships. I think the way that I was raised was a little too sequestered. Mm. Um, but I do think that I developed a worldview that's really unique and I have a skill set that was unique that, you know, everything has come into play in my career. Yeah. All the things I got to do there. Um, and I interacted with adults in a way where I don't really see age as much. I just kind of like see people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I think, listen, we all have upsides and downsides to everything we do. And, you know, I think rarely you can just point to one thing where it's like, well, that was what I really needed, you know, yeah. other than like something extreme. Yeah. Um, extreme experience you go through. But, you know, a lot of our genetic programming gets us through trauma or it doesn't get us through trauma or like weird upbringings or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And you're right. It is, does depend on the personality. Like I'm not a very social person, so I did pretty well. Yeah. Um, other people who need to be around people a little more probably wouldn't have thrived. Thrived so, in that environment, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. All the homeschool people I've ever met um, have been super cool mm -hmm. and very individualistic. And I kind of, I pride myself on my weirdness and my individuality. So... 
I think it was good for me. I would, I don't regret it. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that you and I share is both have an incredibly high IQ. Oh, wow. Are we getting that out? <laughs> yeah, mine's in the double digits, not to break. Oh, wow. Three? You, are you up to three? <laughs> three digits? <laughs> no, that's my level in Scientology. Oh. I'm at level three in Scientology. You're getting Whoa. it mixed Oh, up. boy, I am. This is really deep. So tell me about your own. Uh, you had no idea. No, I can't I know, answer any questions. This is questions. really just you. This, this is, is on the internet. They can't see it. <laughs> it's like China. They have a lot of stuff blocked out. Um, so you were, a, you were a smart kid. It is well known. But I'm interested in what came first for you? The, the, the video game connection thing that you were talking about or music? Did music kind of come before oh, that? Oh, I started playing violin when I was like three. Three? Two and a half or three. Yeah, my mom saw like... Yeah, because you're a lot of people may not know you are a fantastic... I used to be, yeah. But I, I was a very good violinist. I, That's what I did. I got I actually studied it in school and yeah. to the symphony. But my mom like saw some talk show and with all these little kids playing Suzuki. And like, oh, wow. uh, it's like a Japanese methodology to teach children who are young to play. And you could start as young as like two. Mm. Um, so she was like, let's do that. <laughs> She's like my mom. Yeah. Hey, let's do that. You have a, well, I have a, actually have a thumb, like my thumb won't straighten all the way. And so when I was a kid, it really was bent. It really wouldn't straighten. See, this oh, one will weird. go back and this one will only go Oh straight. yeah, it kind of stops a yeah, little but, bit. Yeah, but it's actually stretched over the years. I guess I've been working it out. Boop, yeah. Boop, hitchhiking or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, all those hitchhiking things. <laughs> but uh, she was like, oh yeah, that'll fit around the violin good. Let's do that. Yeah. But then I found out I actually have, um, on my grandmother's side, I have a lot of Polish relatives mm -hmm. and three of them were violinists in the Krakow Symphony. And like around the time no of World way. War II. Yeah. It's kind of in your blood. I Yeah, but it was just a coincidence. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It is. That's crazy. So, I don't, yeah. At what point did you feel like you connected to that instrument versus just your mom going like, hey, let's do this? You I mean, know? I'm really intense. Like, I really like to concentrate on things. I like to like hyper focus. Um, and so, and I was like bored a lot. Like at home, you're like, I didn't go to school. Yeah. Right. And I had all this time to fill. So, like practicing an hour or two a day wasn't really that big a deal. Mm -hmm. It didn't really take that much time yeah. out of my day. And so it was something I really enjoyed. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of people who end up with creative careers have some sort of musical thing in their background. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think it just works. Even though, even if you're just sticking to reading music, you're not making your own music, you're just performing stuff that's that's already written and composed, mm -hmm. it still works a side of your brain that I think when you're young and you get into that, it opens you up to other creative stuff later on. Yeah, I mean, it's really a kind of a two-pronged thing because the same neural connections that are music are also mathematical, so mm -hmm. it's sequencing and things like that, especially the performing of it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's a real advantage just like brain-wise to do music, even if you're, you know, just a hobby, right? Yeah. When was the last time you picked up a violin and played it? I think it was like three weeks ago because I have a baby now and like I'm trying to get her used to me playing. So uh -huh. I get it out. But she, all she wants to do is really polish the bow. She's not going to be a two and a half year old <laughs> playing violin probably. You're not going to try and... How are her thumbs? Is she... Her thumbs are totally fine. <laughs> okay. So I'm not like, oh, we got to get you in that quick because of no reason actually. <laughs> was that the first thing you checked when she came out? You said, how are her thumbs? No, she had hip dysplasia actually. Oh, so, really? Yeah, she had like, I thought that was only for German Shepherds. Yeah, no, yeah. Or, I did or not children. Yeah. Uh -huh. My I mean, sister had it. Your sister had hip dysplasia? My sister had hip dysplasia wow. when she was born. She had casts on yeah. both of her legs for the first uh, however long. Yeah, they have <clears> a. <throat> they actually have a harness now that they put them in. But yeah. like, literally day two, she went in this harness and it was like kind of like her as a frog. <laughs> like this is her baby. 
So like I didn't, and I had never really held a baby before because uh-huh. I was like, oh, I'm not into babies. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm like, how do I get the? And she, they, we couldn't even take it off to bathe her. So she wore it for the first three months of her life. And so like I had to thread the yeah, diaper yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's but so it fixed extra. her perfectly. Like she mm-hmm. run, you know, everything's fine. Did Same you, way with my sister. Yeah, she went amazing. on to do gymnastics and all kinds of other stuff. That that's amazing. She didn't think she would have to do. But was I, she older sister? Yeah, I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Was she the oldest? Because I the middle child. Oh. Yeah, the oldest I, was born perfect. Just ask her. Oh boy! Yeah. Wow. I'm kidding. What's that about? She doesn't watch this. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so. You're growing up homeschooled. You have a brother. Yep. Your brother's name is Ryan, Ryan but it's spelled cool. It's spelled O-N. It's cool, though. It's because I guess it's a family thing. Is it really? It's the Scottish version. Oh, it is? Yeah, Scottish version is O-N. Oh. But he gets crap his whole life about it, right? Really? Yeah, yeah of course. Of course, yeah. <clears throat> When he goes to Starbucks, they write. They're right. I mean, forget it. R-Y-A. Yeah. But I go Felicia with P-H-Y-L-I-S-H-A-E. You get that? I've gotten that. Okay. It's like, you got to get creative with this name, y'all. Ash asked me the other day if I'm, if she's like, do you mumble? Because I get a different name every time I go to Starbucks. And she's like, are you mumbling? Are you distracted? I get Brandon, Justin. I get Ryan a lot. Yeah. So now I just say Frank. Because you kind of can't fuck up Frank, right? Like. So th- do you, can they? I've gotten it with a C before. <laughs> like a French frog? Frog? I, I a week after telling somebody a, a week after telling somebody I have this foolproof thing they can never fuck up Frank I get it with the C I'm like ah, son of a bitch what was your relationship like with Ryan as uh, with an O growing up um yeah he's it, a sweetheart he's great he is his own person yes. which is great um you know we weren't very close which is weird because we were two children raised in isolation yeah. <laughs> I think just the way we were raised, we were, I mean, he's been, always been this guy who lives in a bell jar. Mm. Like, I don't remember seeing him look up during childhood. Mm-hmm. He was always just buried in a book. Um, and he, like, knew every plane back and forth and every train. Like, he was just so brilliant. at Like, he would read joke books and, like, know every single joke and everything like that. Yeah. So he kind of had this sort of insular thing. And we didn't, strangely, we didn't interact. He had his lessons. I had mine. Mm-hmm. We kind of coexisted, but we didn't really band together as much i wish we did you know i don't think there was an example set to kind of like absolutely have that in the house but now we're really good friends and Mm -hmm. he's so awesome with my baby so it's like wow it's good because i feel like our relationship gets better as Mm -hmm. we get older yeah and closer as we get older which is nice when would you guys when did you feel like you were finally starting to sort of get close was it when as adults I, already? You know, it was when I started playing World of Warcraft that was like I did it just because I, I he had never like reached out to me to play anything together before and I'm like we were living in separate states mm-hmm. I was in California he was in Texas and I was like okay let me do this with my brother and like we bonded over that and a long distance thing and then when I started doing Geek at Sundry he came out and did this show Co-Optitude with me and that was really when we had so much fun. We actually spent more time together over that show than we had in our lives mm. up until that point. And it really was a, a formidable uh, turn in our relationship. Yeah. I left home at 17 and didn't know if I Where'd would you go? be... I went to Las Vegas. You just ran away? No. 
Sounds really unsafe. I went, I went and joined a, I went, and, um, yeah, joined a cult for a couple years, and that's really, a yeah, it's a story for another. What? Time. It's a story for another time. It wasn't Scientology. It wasn't Scientology. Wow. I joke about that because I, I love Scientology. Fascinates me. I love reading about it. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a. You probably should cut all that out. <laughs> no, the reason why I like it is because it's, it's, it's a more public, publicly uh, abusive version of what I went through. I went through a lot of the same shit that those people did, uh-huh. except that it was all it was all uh, even more secretive than this kind of thing is. Wow! Because it was so mainstream, it had to be. Yeah. Um, and not on the fringes. <clears throat> but I left home at seventeen, and my oldest sister had moved out when I was in fifth grade, so I didn't know her at all. What? I didn't know her at all. Yeah, wow. she's like eight years older than me. Oh, okay. So she graduated high school and uh, went and joined a missionary thing or whatever else. And uh, <laughs> so I got to know her as an. You have adult. a really religious family. Yeah, and so that that except drove for, you away. Uh, so she, except for this, guy. you were the only person who got kind of like changed their philosophy. No, it was more of just like she was older and I was so young. Mm-hmm. We just we didn't have anything in common because she was in high school and I was in elementary yeah, yeah. school. So I'm still playing with Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah. And she's like bringing a different dude home every day. You know. Wow. Okay. Really? <laughs> Again, she doesn't watch this. I can say whatever <laughs> I want. But it's an interesting thing to get to know a sibling. Mm-hmm. As an adult, yeah, because you grew up in a in such a close capacity, but you're going on separate journeys, yeah. And then, as an adult, you realize and you go like, "I this is important to me. This relationship, this is family. This is the sort of thing." When I moved to LA, I remember taking my sister out to dinner and being like, "So tell me about your life." <laughs> you oh, know wow. what I mean? Like it's a weird. It's almost like yeah, I think family is what you make it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have one baby, and I'm like, I don't really want to have more. And then you feel this like, well. I value my relationship with my brother so much, but then again, you could form family. I know a lot of people who don't have relationships with their siblings. Yeah. They have really close. So you find family where you make it, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a theme in my life anyway. Like finding, yeah. I think being homeschooled and sort of socially isolated has made like my driving force, especially with internet, is creating community, mm-hmm. creating connections between people so we all have that sort of feeling of belonging with each other. Yes. And creating short- shorthands where you can get to know other people and have that in in common with other people in an instant way. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of something that drives me a lot. Yeah. I know that, um, I think you talked about it in your first book, Extremely Online Girl. (laughs) Which is a great title. It's a great title. I wish I had, I I swear to God, I would have stolen that. You're we never weird on the internet. On the internet almost. Almost. That was my first title pitch. And then we went through two months of trying to change it. And then the editor was like, actually, that first one. And I was like, I just spent two months trying to think of another title. What were some of the other ones? Uh, oh, my gosh. I can't even remember. <clears throat> they were so bad. Like, I was so upset because I was like, this is clearly the one. Mm-hmm. But they were like, at the time, the long sentence thing wasn't working. So Extremely you fight online for Online Girl would have been great. Like, <laughs> you, I think they would have taken yeah. that. You could have renamed my book, Brian. But then I would have asked for like 70% of the proceeds. Well, because it's a book. <laughs> so congratulations. Here's a burger. I would have ended up with a nice number two from in and out Yep. I'm what was it that. about video games that really just got you? Because that was sort of your like, that was sort of your thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it kind of got us out of the house. Like, even yeah. if you're playing Marble Madness, it's like, I'm on a marbles field, you know? Mm-hmm. And... And actually, my brother and I enjoyed that together. Like, we got one computer, and I remember it was in his room, and we would just sit there and kind of take turns playing these Amiga games, which is like yeah. a pre, <laughs> pre, it's like so old, uh, a pre Mac slash PC kind of rival. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
yeah, we really bonded over that and it kind of created this way for us to relate to each other, which was cool. And then when we started getting online, you know, access to like early pre-internet kind of stuff, like Prodigy, you mm -hmm. know, then it became something when, here I am in this place, how do I connect with people? Well, what do I know and like? I like video games. Are there other people who like this thing? Yeah. And so that became the entry point into connecting with other people online. Yeah. Which I guess continues <clears throat> to this day. It's not. <laughs> it does. Yeah. You still every once in a while hop on Twitch. There night you played some World of uh, Warcraft. I usually tweet. I, I stream every week. Every like, week, yeah. Every Saturday night because the cool people. <laughs> I try to go in there and troll you every once you in a do? while. You do? Do I not see you? No, you did because one time I, I didn't know. I don't. I didn't really know much about Twitch. I do now because I work at, at here. But um, I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to host it on my channel. And mm -hmm. I thought that just like. Boost me up. Yeah. But then I don't have anybody on my channel. And then I see you were playing some like game where you had a broom and you were going through a house like cleaning oh, it yeah, or doing something. Show, what game yeah. was that? Uh, house Flipper. Yes, probably. I loved watching that. That's a good. That's a good game. And then in the middle of it, you were like, Brian Foster is hosting that. this stream. What, what are you doing? I know that's what I remember. That I was, some people will come like Pat Rothfuss will come in. Yeah, people I know, and I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, text me. I see you're live. I'm like, what's up? It's a Saturday night usually. Do you still get as much joy out of doing that, even though you've been doing it all these years? Yes. You keep doing yes. it. You don't need to do it. You know, like, no, you don't I don't. Have to I, do I don't. It. My subscriptions are one time only, and I give almost all of the money to charity. Yeah. I just keep a little back for like the X split and mm -hmm. like buying games. That's it. Of course. Yeah. Um, no, I do. I mean, the reason why I started a Twitch channel at my old company, Geek and Sundry, was because I started doing Twitch streaming on my own because I was like, I just need something where I'm interacting with the audience in an organic way versus mm. all this corporate stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to, and I hate, you know, YouTube is not a place that facilitates community yeah. at all. And that's what I missed and that was what I loved. And I just hated this idea that my whole worth was um, basically based on the number of views that one of these videos I got, I made got. And sometimes it would be huge and sometimes it would be small. And I'm like, I am feeling abused here. Yeah. <laughs> so I just started doing Twitch on my own completely. And this great community, Team Human people kind of mm -hmm. sprung up. And it just was so gratifying just to like hang out with people and just have this like low pressure situation where we're having fun together. And like that's was the main reason why I was like, we have to do a Twitch channel at Geek and Sundry. Yeah. And I want, you know, these are the things that I want on it because I love this platform so much more than YouTube. Mm -hmm. You saw what it did for you too, and you knew what you know you knew what it could do socially for other people in yeah. creating a community like that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's only one person, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, now I'm sort of more on my own, and I'm like, I wish I had that sort of bigger infrastructure because, you know, you can't one person can't satisfy everything, and creating a community like that, yeah, kind of requires constant feeding mm -hmm. of and just support. At what point did acting sort of? Did you start thinking about acting as, in, you know, you're, you're homeschooled, you're getting into video games, you're playing music, you're already, like, doing all this cool stuff. Why acting? Why? Because it got me out of the house with other people. Another thing. I, I think it's another yeah. thing. Like, it was, uh, we did a lot of community theater. My mom was, you know, my mom was a little quirky, but she also always was like, okay, well, we can do, what can we do here? And mm -hmm. I would be, like, you know, fourth can-can girl in, like, Oklahoma um, or fourth prostitute of sweet charity, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would just do these community theater things, and, like, I, f I felt like finally connected to real people when I was doing that. It was really the only way I got out of the house. Yeah. Um, other than lessons and stuff. So I think I had this sort of idea that this is where play happens is with performing like that. Mm -hmm. And so all the way through college, I was like, I'm just going to go and move to be an actor. And my dad was like, you got to get a real degree. So I got a math degree and I was like, bye. And so you started college at 16. Yeah, I just turned 16 too. It was like a month before, a month after. 
So did you just rush through the homeschool stuff and then you're like, I'm I ready just, to go? I just basically <clears throat> learned at my own pace and then my violin professor was like, you want to go to college? And he was, I was like, yeah. And then he just got me a scholarship. I never even took a GED. I don't For real? A, I don't have a GED. No way. Nope. That's crazy. I did take the SAT. Yeah, yeah. I did really well. What'd so. you get? I got like a, I got like a 3,000. Am I thinking of the... That's not a thing. That's not the same thing. No. That's okay. like, I think your Hogwarts score or something. <laughs> <laughs> 3,000 Slytherin, that's you. <laughs> that's me. Do you think <laughs> I'm a Slytherin? Do you, do you tap me for a Slytherin? Oh, yeah. Why? Um, Because you have a very uh, refined outer shell to you. Okay. That you use to great avail. Okay. To influence the way people see you. <clears throat> it's very much a performance. You have a performer outer What do you think shell. my interior is? Oh, uh, you know, just as lonely and sad as mine. <laughs> It's a hundred percent. Okay, so we have acting. We have uh, we have violin. You also sang. You also did ballet. Yeah. How but I had you... all the time in the world. But I, that's still so much stuff. That's still more I'd acting. I go to like than... two, three hours of ballet a day. I'd, a couple times a week, I go to rehearsal. I play. You know. If you really parse it out, yeah, kids only le they only learn an hour and a half every day at school. That's true. <clears throat> and so, and if you even less if you're me. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's just kind of there. It's just a housing. It's a place to put them, and like it's not invaluable to be around other kids, but you're not learning a ton from other children, right? Mm -hmm. So like, if you just think about the hours, like I wasn't, I I was never like pushed or like stage mommed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, just yeah. filled the hours. Yeah. Weird lessons, thank God, to get me out of the house. <laughs> Outside of video games, because I know that's an easy contender, but what did you connect with the most out of all those creative outlets? Um, I really loved dance. I really wanted mm. to be a dancer. I loved it so much. I really loved moving, you know, just moving and letting music flow through me. I just, I really loved it. But that's not a really good career. And I wasn't necessarily, like, the best dancer. Mm -hmm. I was really, I feel mm. like I'm competent at everything, but I, w I was much better at the violin. Yeah. So. Are you somebody that when you start something, you want to kind of, master it as much as you can like say violin or dancing or whatever it was or was it just like oh i want to do it and i want to get better at it but i don't have that thing where it's like no i really want to master this thing you know jack of many trades yeah master of few, master of a few yeah so uh, fool me once i mean no i always wanted to be the best like i was very much a perfectionist thank goodness i worked for years and years and years to try to shed that where do you think it comes from i'm the um, same way and i know where it comes from but i mean i think it it if you're raised in an environment where praise is basically your affection, then you kind of, that's what you drive toward. Your self-worth is the accolades or mm -hmm. the affection that you're going to get on the outside. And therefore, you kind of become this person who's constantly performing and trying to achieve to get that sort of affirmation when, in fact, you should just love yourself for what you, who you are. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times we aren't taught that. Mm -mm. Um, and so we have mm -mm. to pay therapists a lot of money to learn that. <laughs> Do you feel like it's better for you now or has it become harder the more, you know, exposed you are to the public and the more successful you get? I mean, I think, I think it's intermittently in my career. Like, I feel like I've it's gotten worse and then get better and then worse. I feel like now, the last couple of years has been a real, you know, existential, like, what am I doing with my life? Where mm -hmm. do I go? And becoming a mother was like, a, is a real identity jarring thing, you know, having to step back from some of the... Um, professional things that gave me a lot of pride and mm -hmm. identity 
um, was kind of a hit. And, you know, just the realities of careers also are just like, well, what do I do here? And so I think that I've had to sort of like wipe the slate clean. And I feel like a much more functional person now in that you kind of leave things behind in order to find new things, Mm -hmm. right? Because we have a tendency to like cling to what we know because we don't know what the change is going to happen. And when you could just kind of accept like, okay, I don't know where I'm going to go, but I think it's going to be better than here. (laughs) Then you're kind of good in a sense, right? It's a freeing sort of feeling, isn't it? It's very freeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's freeing to know that you can have validity and self-worth no matter what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's something that has taken me a very long time. And I feel like it's just a new concept to me. Yeah. Because, yeah, especially on the internet, the other day I kind of, uh, I stumbled upon an analogy like I mean I was one of the first people on Twitter ever yeah you know? yeah yeah I so remember I kind that. of like especially from Hollywood and you know I, I pioneered in a lot of ways that were very ahead of its time but this whole social media thing where like you have this number of, of self-worth that people want to use you for right you have this demonstrative thing you're trying to always output to get people still intention you know pay attention to me yeah and in fact like you know, you're in a car, it's an empty car, you're sitting in the car and then you're pasting the windows with pretty pictures of yourself and yet you're still empty inside your car not being seen. Mm. And that's what I feel like is an analogy for social media wow. in a lot of ways. And so to me, like letting go of like, okay, I need to have this post hit this many likes so I can get these people to sponsor me. And like, this is this, this, this piece of art can't stand on its own unless X, you know, people share it or whatever. And it's yeah. just like, no, I just want to make something great. Mm-hmm. That I feel as an artist, like, this is exactly what I want it to be. And I really hope you like it. Yeah. But if it affects three people or 30 or 30,000 or 3 million, like, no matter what, I feel good as an artist because I made this happen and mm-hmm. I, only I could have made it happen. Mm-hmm. <coughs> it's weird that <clears throat> that whole thing, like you were saying with Twitter and the follower numbers and like that whole thing. And in this town and in this business, we hear so much about staying relevant. You've mm-hmm. got to stay relevant or you're not going to get work or you're going to be forgotten because <clears throat> everything moves so quickly. There's a new thing. There's all this stuff. Like, do you feel that pressure or do you feel like, because I feel, I feel like for you, you've sort of carved your own space in each avenue that you've gone into, but there is still that pressure of this town. So how yeah. do you reconcile those things? Like, is it an issue for you? I mean, of course, yeah. yeah. Especially as a woman, like being over like 30, you know, you start to become disposed of, becoming a mother. Like, especially since, you know, inevitably people in authority are men and men suddenly when you have a baby, they have like this paradigm shift and you're not useful to them anymore. Like, I feel that acutely. Mm-hmm. I also feel like opportunity, um, you know, shrinks in a sense because you're kind of seen as one thing. And especially for acting, like you're selling your face, right? And you're kind of waiting for people to pick you up and kind of save you all the time. And you're right. Like I recently this summer kind of took a step back and I was like, why am I so unhappy? Why am I like looking at like coffee shops that I can buy in Seattle and just like Mm -hmm. get out of here? Because I wasn't being fulfilled and I had stepped away from what I really love is making my own stuff. Yeah. You know, when I left Geek and Thundery a couple years ago, I did it because I just needed to de-stress. I couldn't, I just couldn't handle a lot of... Uh, the stress. Yeah. I had had a really hard time getting pregnant. I had had a lot of mishaps while pregnant and like my, I was having problems while I was pregnant at the time with my baby. And because of her safety and my own, I just was like, I have to, I can't do these two things mm-hmm. and have a career in the way that I really want to, to do my own creativity, which because, you know, inevitably having a huge company, you turn it more of into administrator providing opportunity for other people, which yeah. is great. But then I felt like I was being left out in a yeah. sense. In, in providing so many opportunities for other people, I'm being left out, right? Yeah. 
So then I stepped back and then I adjusted to, whoa, there's a creature I have to take care of. And that was a big journey. Mm -hmm. And so I think this summer I kind of like, I left all my agents and managers. I was like, I just need to be alone for a little bit because I don't know where I want to go right now. Yeah. And, you know, they're doing their job and throwing opportunities. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm th torn and I don't think you see what I want to see. And you don't value the way, the paths that I've carved as much as I do because mm -hmm. it's not your business. Mm -hmm. Their business is big money, big glitz. You need to be on a poster. And I think inherently I'm just not that person. Like I, I part of me wants that just to be in, you know, in that stratosphere. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the fulfilling stuff is like just knowing, you know, 30 people on my discord or like releasing something that a hundred thousand people like, yeah. because that's enough. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it becomes a weird crossroads, especially in entertainment and in, you know, internet stuff and all the stuff that we do, where if there are, if there's opportunity, you are told by everyone, like, take it. That's why everyone's sending you stuff. Like, take this, take this, take this, because you never know when the phone's going to ring again. And that's a reality for mm -hmm. this kind of profession where we're sort of, <clears throat> we're sort of contractors on everything we do, right? Yeah. But Yourself, you have to be self-motivated and you're like, basically you have no job until you get another job, right? Right. But then when you reach a point where you go, even though this is my dream and even though this is what I want to do, my quality of life has to, has to be yeah. up there too, or this is burnout. Well, I think a lot of people go into this business seeking validation. Like we talked mm -hmm. about, we're empty inside. Mm -hmm. We don't have the, we weren't taught to like value ourselves just for our inherent existence. So we're looking for affirmation with our accomplishments and our achievement. We're trying to be acknowledged as important. And I think recently I've just come to the conclusion, like we're going to get thrown away at some point. So why live our lives trying to please the people who will throw you away when you're not useful? Because it is a business, mm -hmm. right? And if you're not a cog that can spin its wheels, then you're useless. It doesn't matter how, what you've accomplished, like you're useless to them. Yeah. You're trash. They're not your friend. They're not going to yeah. give you the love you're looking for, right? No, absolutely not. And so to me, I'm like, well, as long as I can support myself and do a little bit of what I love, um, I, would, I would rather scale that way and follow those paths. And yes, maybe that will re lead to a big success like my company and, mm -hmm. you know, um, and being able to kind of build a bigger version of what I like. But the organic start of that was always me starting to do videos in my garage. That yeah. was how I started. I didn't yeah. have anything else before. I had acting and it was okay. Mm -hmm. But it was not like, oh my God, this is my dream, right? Yeah. The, the career that I had. So like, whatever it is that fulfills you is okay. But the gaslight of Hollywood tells you that only the things we value are okay. And so I think I've recently kind of like realized that. And I don't, you know, I think there's a lot of different directions to go, but as long as I'm treading on my own path, I'm, I'm happy. So I'm like, I'm just gonna follow the happy trail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the happy trail, which is not the pubic hair trail. Okay, just to be clear. Happy trail. You can't sing. Oh, it's weird. We it's copyright. For it. Copyright. That one's probably public domain by now. I wouldn't doubt Happy it. birthday, you can't sing. You can now, it's in public domain now. It is? Yeah. Nobody told me, Chris. Have a pop up. <laughs> pop it up. Let's have a lower third Chiron. <laughs> Get an intern on it. Uh, we can't afford those. I know they're free, but we can't afford them socially. They aren't. They aren't free. They're paid. Most interns are. No, I wasn't when I was an intern. Illegal. Really? Yeah. Is that a California thing? It's a California law. Yeah. Oh wow! I was not an intern in California. I was an intern in Antarctica, where there are no laws. What? Except for maritime law. Wait, what? No, I'm not joking. I've never been a I was so, You were so much more interesting for a second. <laughs> Nobody's been for a second. 
<laughs> Nobody's been to Antarctica. Have you been? Do you know anyone who's been to Antarctica besides James Cameron or something? I've never been, but a lot of I've met many scientists who've been in Antarctica. Well, I don't know any smart people. Jesus, give me a chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know a couple triple dig. I know a couple triple dig. Triple dig. <laughs> yeah, Obama. I don't know Obama. Have you ever met? Have you ever met? Have you ever? I've met, met Obama. Yes. You did. Yeah, so Did he read Extremely Online Girl? Um, in 2007, I volunteered for him to come. He came to South Central, mm -hmm. uh, and he was not in the running. Like People were like, this guy's an, an awesome oh, yeah. man. And <clears throat> so he appeared at a rally um, down on Jefferson uh, Boulevard, and I went. It was probably 200 people there. And I remember I was like, this guy's fucking amazing. And a woman was like... <laughs> Large woman was like, show me that ass. <laughs> to Obama? To Obama. Jesus. That was probably my aunt. I remember that. <laughs> no I was like, way. show me that ass to Obama. And then I took a picture. There's a picture of me with a bunch of volunteers because I was doing phone banking for him. Uh -huh. I was like, this is my guy. Did he and show his else ass, was like, yeah. ass in the picture? He did not. He oh, was a classy okay. guy. But that was very early. It was like six months before he kind of blew up in the race. It's crazy. Show me that ass. So how did moving out west happen? What what? How did that whole thing I met, come uh, about? I volunteered a lot for um, film festivals. Oh really? So I met a lot of people during film festivals out in Austin. What were you South doing? By Southwest. I was like an intern. <laughs> I'm paid intern. I did a lot of volunteering there, and I did like I was the assistant to the head of the Austin Film Festival, and so I met a lot of people. And I was like, okay, I graduated. Bye. I just went. Yeah. And was it scary to move out here? Was it? I mean, I was really dumb, so it was scary, but I had saved up money because I had a full scholarship. So all mm -hmm. my violin, I played a lot of weddings and I was in the symphony. So I earned enough money to have like a cushion for at least a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was okay, you know. And you were valedictorian. I was valedictorian. What I didn't did that feel like? It was stressful. I mean, I got, um, I guess I should, I was sexually harassed by the guy who was screening them. In retrospect, I was like, that was a really not cool situation I was put in. What? Um, yeah, I don't want to go into no, it. No, you don't need to. It was just uh, crazy. In retrospect, I was like, that was super inappropriate behavior that I got from the guy who was screening the valedictorians. Um, but hey, you're, you're, <clears throat> I was 19. Mm -hmm. You don't know. You just kind of put up with whatever. Of course. Anybody throws you. And yeah. thank goodness it wasn't a really dangerous situation. It was just like the way the interaction was not appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, and I also had to write a, a speech and deliver it to thousands of people. And was that you know. terrifying? No, it was. It was. You know, it was not fun. Because here's the thing: is some people that are that are totally comfortable being on camera hate public speaking, though. Like I love public yeah. speaking. I hate. I can't. Uh, singing in public gives me. Oh, uh, really? The panic fear. Attacks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm. I love. I would rather talk to thousands of people than four. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. It just becomes like this. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can feel energy. I'm very much like, I feel the vibe. I know it's not like I'm a hippie. or No, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But I feel the vibe of other people. Like that's mm -hmm. when auditions, I can always tell if somebody doesn't like. And that's like, it freaks me out even more. Because I'm yeah. like, I, this is not what they want. I could tell like that. So, but you know, if you're in a, mo a room where people are rooting for you mm -hmm. and like, on your side, I'm like, this is actually really, you kind of yeah. have this communal experience with a crowd, which is really fun. I can relate to that. I like going out and feeling, when you go out and see people's faces and you talk to them and you're doing on a panel or whatever you're doing for them, like mm -hmm. they're there to see you and they're happy and it's- Yeah, it's a benevolent crowd. It's not like doing stand-up where you're like, hey, mm, you no. suck, you know? No, yeah, because then you're like, they're hanging on every word mm -hmm. as if like they're waiting on a thing. But it's so it's much better up, than yeah. the internet interactions where it's like, you know, you'll read compliments or you'll read, 
you know, someone loves your work or it's this thing meant a lot. And that's cool. Yeah. But when you go out there and you get to actually see those people, that's mm-hmm. a different feeling. Yeah. That takes away a lot of the anxiety for me. It's like, oh, I'm here with my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, was it like a struggle for you when you got out here at first? What, what did you experience when you first got out here? A lot of people, it's culture shock. A lot of people, it's entertainment culture shock. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, what was it like for you when you got here? I mean, I think it was somebody who was really driven by the harder you work, the more you can achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, like violin, the harder you work, the better you are. Math, the, the harder you work. Like, Hollywood is not a harder you work town. It yeah. really is not. I mean, yeah, you need not. to work hard, but success... People I know who work hardest don't necessarily succeed. Mm -hmm. The most talented don't succeed. A lot of it is luck. A lot of it is just socialization, which I was not particularly good at. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And so I kind of uh, wandered around trying to find agents. I really thought I was much more special than I was in the looks department. Like, we all have to have this imaginary thing, like, I'm Mm -hmm. so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the beautiful in Austin is not the same beautiful as in L.A. when everyone is like a 10. Um, you know, yeah, so no, but thank you for saying that. You know, uh, it's it's tough, and so it wasn't until I found like improv comedy where I like find a home a little bit, where I felt okay, I'm stable, and I can kind of keep this going mm. for a while. Improv's an interesting family, isn't it? Because yeah. uh, there's so much trust involved. Yeah, you right? have to really, and you kind of get your each other's shorthands, mm-hmm. and you just kind of have all these in jokes at the same time as like making people laugh. So, yeah, I love improv. It really gets you out of your head. I'm a very cerebral person, and so. Anytime I can surprise myself with what comes out of my mouth, it's mm-hmm. like exciting. I get that too. What else do you What else do you do to get out of that cerebral like? Because that can be a cycle, right? That can be like yeah. I think cycle. writing, you know, <clears throat> writing. Um, writing, especially long form, you know, because you just have to have to chug, you know, you just have to shove the words out of your mouth, you know, out of mm-hmm. your brain onto a page. And so, yeah, I've recently kind of really enjoyed that process of just kind of oh wow, that was really I don't even remember writing that. That was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a weird feeling, right? You're yeah. like it's your subconscious that it's so much more important. <clears throat> it's so much more, it's so much better that we give ourselves credit, you know. I was very fortunate enough to meet a musician that I really admired when he was uh, really old, like four years before he passed away, and he told me, write every experience down, write everything down, basically is what he was saying, because mm-hmm. he said you never know years later how much more important that thing is going to mean to you than it did when you wrote it yeah. because you weren't even aware of how it was going to, you know, and he was talking about this uh, song that he had written 40 years before. He said, that song means way more to me now oh, than it did when I wrote it. And wow. I was somebody that reminded me of that when you said it, like looking back on something and going, oh, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. But at the time it just sort of, it came out of you. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Speaking of all of that, you wrote a new book and it's sitting right in front of me. I did. Well, it's not. This is not the. This is not the actual what it's going to look like. This is a. This is a uncorrected proof, which I'm like. I know there's some typos in here, so I apologize. But you don't have to go through and find them. So no, that's I did. Nice. Oh, oh, you yeah. did yourself? Oh no, this took like I turned it in in February and I I worked on it until like last week. How long did it take you to to? piece together the whole thing. I mean, I wrote, uh, it's called Embrace Your Fears. Yeah, tell me a little bit about it. It's called Embrace Your Fears, Face yeah. Your Fears and Unleash Creativity. Um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a creativity book. I wrote it because people read my memoir and they were like, oh, because of your memoir, I started creating things and I started, um, I got help from my anxiety or my mm. depression or whatever. Mm. And so I was like, oh, I think I have more to say in this and I want to say it in a way that is about more the reader than just myself, the yeah. memoir. And so I was like, I was, I became just last summer, I was like, I just need to do something for myself. 
And I wrote this like 40 page proposal full of like exercises and like essays and the editor, uh, the same editor from my memoir was like, we love this, so we're gonna do it. So I worked on it and like the 40 page proposal was cool and then like sitting down to actually write it, I was like, oh, this is so hard. <laughs> yeah. Cause you have to dig really deep <clears throat> and do. like it is, you know, it has stuff of, Basically, and I, I actually realized this the other day, like it's the journey of me piecing myself together after having a child mm. because it kind of is like a guide to like, okay, who are you underneath it all? What yeah. do you actually have to say? And this is the process any you know creator needs to go through, but I'm like, I'm having to do this anew because mm. I don't know who I am anymore, right? And so it kind of, the exercise is in a funny way, like I write a lot and it's funny, but um, it's like rebuilding yourself as your own hero, your creative hero, and then all the enemies you're gonna have to battle there's Along like the gaming and RPG terminology in there mm -hmm. and, um, and like procrastination and fear of failure and all these things that we battle, jealousy, and then kind of getting to the how you should approach the work and then also sending people off with missions, right? So yeah, um, yeah. so I kind of, but I realize it's kind of the uh, the analogy is me kind of re rebirthing myself as a creator myself. So this is like firsthand, I was editing the other day, I was like, oh, you really need to take that advice. <laughs> yeah, yes. Did you know though, when you were wanting to write it, that it would help you with where you were feeling you no, were at? No, it was only retrospective that I kind of realized like, yeah. oh, I was going through this. Cause you know, you know, I'm just trying to think from somebody else's point of view. Like whenever I made a video, I'm like, okay, I'm a stranger and I don't know this game. How do I break this down and show them how easy it is to get into yeah, this, right? Yeah, yeah. Same thing with creativity. I'm like, okay, I'm a person who has no idea how to get in touch with who they are as a creator right now. How do I, guide someone into do that in the base way? And how do I make it fun along the way? Mm -hmm. And so I realized like it was my process of trying to rediscover like creativity uh, for creativity's sake, like who I am and what, what do I genuinely like doing outside of business and outside of what other people want from me? And then how do I overcome these things that even if I know what I wanna say, I can't get it out. Mm -hmm. And you know, just, yeah, so that's, I didn't realize that until after I finished the book, like that was the journey that I needed to go on. And I feel so much more stable and happy now having gone on the journey to write the book. I just hope that some people feel that after, you know, doing the book. <laughs> I'm sure because it's it's hard to not if <clears throat> the person writing it, it means that much to them in that yeah. sort of a I way. I hope so, yeah, hmm. no. I mean, it's definitely authentically me. So it took about, so I started writing it. It took about five months to write. Mm -hmm. And then you do rewrites and rewrites and rewrites yes. and rewrites and copy. And it's amazing how you can, like six people can go through a book three times and still there's a typo. And I'm like, I know, it's crazy. Uh, well, you see like you, the Starbucks cup, Game of Thrones, I know, man. Like I know. how many eyes were how on many that? How many people were seeing that and they let it through? It's just crazy. And also this book has a lot of, uh, it has exercises the, the reader does themselves. So like the layout of like, ah, oh, I think this should be, this can't be over a page break. We gotta oh, right, like, yeah. reduce this graphic. Like that Roy Dot unicorn is way too small. It needs to be really, <laughs> his muscles are not big enough. Yep. The writing process is different for every everybody. So I'm really mm -hmm. fascinated in what you do because um, some people, especially with the memoir, like your first book, did you start from the beginning or did you go like, these are the things I really want to touch on? Because mm -hmm. that'll be the same with this book. Like, did you have pillars and then go, let me flesh out those pillars or was it more yeah. of just like, I, I, when, I, see what when I sent the proposal, I had an outline. And so, yeah, I had to think about like, okay, what is this journey that we're mm -hmm. going to go on together? And I had this idea of a hero's journey, like, you know, and I, and it is kind of like building sort of, there's a lot of nerd terminology in there. Like yeah, yeah, building yeah. a character. Yeah. We're building a character and giving them a mission, right? Right. Like, yeah. It's just to be more creative mm -hmm. uh, in a sense. And so, yeah, I had to kind of think structurally 
Um, if you don't have that, then you could just write forever and never have a book, right? Of course. Yeah. You just have endless, endless, endless stages. I was like, I'm mm. writing a novel. I'm like, for 23 years. I'm like, ooh. Oh, no. I'm you so should sorry. be seven novels <laughs> by that point. Yeah, I know. It's interesting your journey in this business because you're, there aren't really a ton of people that we can point at and say like, oh, yeah, she's just like so-and-so because you have all of your toes dipped in something else. And you're comfortable not having to have all of them in there, you know? Like, if I think about all the different, like, the acting and all the different stuff that you've done growing up and how now you're doing different versions of, like, you're not dancing anymore. You're not necessarily playing violin all the, uh, mm -hmm. all the time anymore, but you're doing something like this. Yeah. And you're doing something like the first book, which inspired so many people and a lot of, especially young women, too, to just go, like, fuck, man, I could do that. Your journey in the first book and, and talking about all that stuff and, and seeing the response from it, what do you hope people take away from this thing the most? I really hope, um, yeah, I mean, a sense of self, a sense of identity outside of what people need from us or what we think would get us somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the strength to get through the blocks that we put uh, on ourselves. Mm. Because I, I know that had I been... Some of the things I talk about in here, had I been more cogent of them and how they prevented me from being my true artist self in the past, I would have maybe had a lot of different, you know, decisions that I would have made. Yeah. And like, I'm fine with the decision. Like, part of this is like, regret is the whole thing about regret and just like letting go of all that. Mm. But, you know, in retrospect, like, sometimes we're so scared of expanding our world that we don't just, we don't stumble upon something that could literally transform our life. Mm. And so a little bit of it is like risking, you know, uh, knowing ourselves better in order to figure out where we want to go. And so I think, you know, a sense of identity and a sense of uh, that cre creativity is really important because I think, you know, this is kind of a self-help book disguised as a fun, whimsical romp. Yeah. Uh, but I think creativity is inherently something that helps ourselves. 100%. Kind of, like, I think that a lot of people who are frustrated, um, especially in this world where we're just thrown things to consume all the time, and we're just a commodity um, mm -hmm. to social media feeds, right? Like we're fueling billions of dollars for these people and giving our lifeblood to them so they can monetize us. And we get nothing out of it, right? Except to be exploited and sort of like put blinders on and sort of funneled down a rat raise that they want us to because that's yeah. where they make money off of us. Yeah. That's not cynical. But anyway. No, um, I know what you're saying, though. It's 100% true. Yeah. So we lose sight of the fact that we are valuable inherently mm -hmm. and our creativity and what we have to say is the only thing that we have to offer the world that no one else can. And so when we stay silent and keep our creativity silent, um, that's when I think we get really frustrated and unhappy. Yeah. And so even if it's like people once a week decide I'm going to go salsa dancing just because of this book, like that's mm -hmm. a victory, right? Yeah, of course. It doesn't need to be like I'm moving to LA to become a DP or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just like I need a little bit of my, I need to prior prioritize what my inner artist needs to do. Yeah. Like, yeah, so let's go knitting or something. Yeah. Or play D&D or whatever. I know that it's interesting because that stuff you're talking about, how, you know, we're a number that creates this, you know, more numbers for higher up people and like all that whole thing. <clears throat> this is the right time for something like this, I think. I because hope so. I look at my nieces and nephews who are going to be teenagers pretty soon. I am terrified for them because mm -hmm. they are smart, passionate, empathetic people. Mm hmm for now yeah. I hope the world doesn't crush and, and and suck that from them you know and I yeah. you fight for that sort of a thing it seems like the perfect time 
to just remind people of like, hey, here's a way that you can have this outlet and who gives a fuck what comes of it or not. It's yeah. for you. Yeah, no, it's really important. I mean, I kind of like had everybody in mind for this, but I, I especially when I go to conventions, I have a lot of young teen girls mm -hmm. who come up to me who are super fans of me, especially from Supernatural. Of course. And like I see that, you know, they're, they're finding a home here in this convention, but they can't feel that when they go to school, right? Mm -hmm. And it really just embracing your weird, like you, what will make your life more fulfilling is embracing the parts of you that make you odd, that other people who pressure conformity on you probably will reject. But those are literally the things that your your life is meant to embrace. Yes. And so, and especially when you're a young girl, like there's so many pressures and you learn to externalize yourself in this way where are people consuming me correctly? Am I pleasing them? You know, we have, especially as women, we have these things that we, um, we are required to do for other people that we forget ourselves, right? We're mm. the first to sacrifice our Saturday night if someone needs us for them. And yet we're we're we are lost and disposed of when our role is in, you know done. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, not very cynical, sorry, but but in a way that it's like let's just let's really let's value ourselves. And when we define take a stand and be like, this is who I am right now, mm -hmm. and I might change, but this is who I want to be seen as, and I'm gonna not let you cross this line because this is this is me. I want to be seen like this and I want to do this and I won't let other people's needs of me for their own uses um, push me off this path. Yeah. And so, yeah, especially <clears throat> when you're, you're a teenager and you have that sort of amorphous sense of self, you're trying to find yourself. Because that's another thing that I've learned in life. Like, you find yourself over and over again. Completely. You don't just find yourself once. It's just like, okay, five years goes by and I'm like, who am I now? <laughs> I'm doing that now? right now. Yeah. I'm doing that right now. <laughs> I 1,000% am doing that in this like period of my life right now. Yeah. Yeah, but there's things that you saw five years ago. I'll never give that up. Yeah, or, like my modeling career. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a hand model for sure. You like my hands? Oh, they're very bur burly. Yeah, they're burly hands. Did you get a manicure? <sighs> no, dude. I, I, uh, I chew my toenails and my fingernails. You chew your toenails? Yeah, I'm really flexible. You have a very flexible hip joint, right? No, I can't chew my toenails. Stink can. I. Now I need to know the story behind that story. <laughs> Have you seen him do this or was this on special Next features question. from an <laughs> So, while I have you, we have to talk about this whole thing has all come to be because you at some point heard about a group of actors playing, voice actors playing D&D. &D. I would mm -hmm. love to hear your side of this because you've mentioned it before, it. <laughs> but you've never really talked about like how this whole thing really happened. How did you first hear that Mercer and these people were playing D&D? &D? Um, yeah, I. Uh, so I think it was Ashley at a, a party, mm -hmm. a party I was at at Joss Whedon's house, I think. Mm -hmm. It was actually Joss Whedon's house. And I think we got talking. I was like, oh, she'd been on Tabletop, I think. Yep. And I was like, and yeah, spooked. Really... Yeah, and spooked. She was yeah. on Spooked. And I think it oh, or, or was on the set of Spooked. Anyway, I was like, yeah, I really want to do something around D&D. &D because I have been in many, I have been in several games over my um, years. Actually, when I first started writing sketch comedy, I was part of a D&D &D group um, around Acme Comedy Theater, mm -hmm. where I met my co-producer, Kim Evie, and that's where the guild started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in this group for like three years. We did like three and 3.5. Um, we did a little bit of four, and then we, I kind of got too busy to keep it up, but I loved it so much. Yeah. And so the thought was like, I would have loved to do something like tabletop in D&D &D style. Mm. And so Ashley was like, oh, yeah, I have a D&D &D group, and it's all, all of us were our voiceover actors. I was like, that must be amazing. And she's like, yeah, it is. And I was like, we're going to work together. Mm. So I think, you know, a couple of times we approached and talked about like doing just a, a really kind of high produced 
passive, like not live version mm-hmm. of it. Not live, not weekly. Not like, weekly, yeah, of course yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the, fi- the, di- the financials were just not there to mm-hmm. do another show as big as Tabletop at the time. I was like, well, maybe one day we'll, we'll, and I brought it up when I sold the company to Legendary and it's still, it was like one of those things I, on my wish list mm-hmm. to work with. And I don't know, I had never even seen them play, but I was like, I know they're going to be great. Yeah, like yeah, I really, yeah. I just always had this gut feeling. I'm like, well, this is it. Kiss yeah. has brought us together. This is going to have to be. Mm-hmm. And so shortly after I started stream, uh, I started streaming on my own in like 2015, like right after I sold the company, I was like, I just got to go do something for myself on the internet. And I love Twitch so much. I was like, oh my God, this is what I got on the internet for. This small community who loves what I do, not just trashes it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have this weird metric to tell me I'm successful or not. I want to, and of course I'm like, I want to turn my hobby into a profession as usual. Of course, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I want to do a whole slate and I want to be on every day. And they're mm-hmm. like, Felicia, I'm always having two big ideas, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I'm like, this is going to work. It's going to work because I love it and I want to create a community here. Um, and so I was on a couple of TV shows at the time and I couldn't commit to doing something weekly because I was just going to do the D&D group from scratch. And I was like, wow. well, I can't do it. I can't commit to it. And it has to be somebody who could show up, who could show up every week. Oh, those voiceover people, they mm-hmm. generally live in LA. It must be, it's got to be Ashley's group. And that's literally um, Zach Eubanks, who was running the Twitch channel, and Ryan Koppel. Um, they went and watched a game. They were like, they were really amazing. They took amazing. some footage too, they right? Yeah, I remember her telling went. me that night that mm-hmm. they were going to come film it. And I'm like, oh, They were like, boy. okay. And I was like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I got, you know, people try to talk me out of the whole thing. They're like, it's not going to work. And I was like, every time I get told that, it always works better than th- anybody would thought. When you get told that, does it make you want to make it work even more? I hear you. It does. I'm a <laughs> yeah. very obstinate person. That's uh-huh. why I'm not handled well. I understand. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And from the moment we started broadcasting, like we did this, um, th- we did this sort of like 12 hour marathon to mm-hmm. raise money for lupus research to kick the Twitch channel off. I was there the whole time hosting and Critical Role started, people started coming by and then they started, and I was a huge fan. I was like, literally, I would watch weekly live mm-hmm. every single week for, I think the first year. Yeah. I was a huge fan. And so I was like, well, I want to watch this. Everybody needs to watch it. And I was like, just put all the resources behind this this team. You know, mm-hmm. I called Twitch personally and I was like, feature them on the front page. And like, I was like, we need to get them a backdrop. It took forever. But finally, every week yeah, I'd be remember. like, where's their backdrop? Uh-huh. Where's their backdrop? Where's the money for the backdrop? Find the backdrop. And uh-huh. finally they got a backdrop because I was like, they have to have a backdrop. Yeah, look yeah, like a tavern. yeah. Yeah. Um, Looks like they're playing in a child's bedroom, technically. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It took a while to get there. We just have the budget. I mean, mm-hmm. in the beginning we had... um Fans were buying us like equipment and stuff. I remember. Just, I did and my sending best. pizza and stuff and to pizza. the studio. And it actually and, yeah. was like the finest time, and you know, it was just amazing. Like that really was the zeitgeist of why I do or did what I did. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like I was just like full steam ahead on this group because they are worth it. And Matt and the characters, it's just the chemistry you can't can't recreate. Like it. you could give that opportunity to a lot of people, and it was just like. No, the, mm-hmm. this is just a cut above in every way. Mm-hmm. And the creativity and the devotion, you know, that's the thing about the internet. People are like, I just want to be internet famous. So I'm like, no, you have to want to do this no matter what. And a lot of people just want to show up for the success but not want to do the work. Yeah. And that's kind and of it's like, a lot of work. I can't imagine. I keep telling, every time I see Matt, I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Don't overextend yourself uh-huh. because only you can do what you do. And you know it quite well because you know. I had a nervous breakdown in my yeah, own book. Yeah. I was like, no, I need to protect. I didn't protect myself. And mm-hmm. I broke myself and I had a lot of burnout issues. And I was like, don't burn out. Yeah. You can't burn out. Just 
Yeah. It's not worth it to grow, you know, if you don't want to grow. Like, just do something and just be happy doing it. It is funny because every time we do run into each other, you're always like, don't, you know, you're always going, is everything cool? I know from experience how hard this is to it run is, all yeah. by yourself. Like, is everyone okay? Yeah. So, yeah, that's how it happened. And um, when I left in 2017, the company, I was like, just like, put everything there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, really, because, you know, you do a lot of internet content. Everything doesn't pop. It's yeah. not an offense to anybody. Of course, it just, yeah. It's 10,000 things need to happen at the same time. Luck, placement on a page, talent, everything. Uh, the day that you're on, like, it's all kismet. And if one thing pops, like, that's a blessing because most people, you never get one success. Mm -hmm. I've had been very fortunate, and there's been a lot of successes in the things that I've created. You know, no, I didn't create Critical Role, but uh, in the in things I've had my hand in. Yeah. Um, and so... You brought it to life, though. It wasn't a thing, and then now it's a thing. It's crazy how it could be from just coming from someone's living room and just be a business, right? Yeah, what do you, do you, yeah, because obviously you believed in everyone and obviously you believed in what it could be. And even when others were telling you it's not going to be that thing, to see it become that thing and then something else, yeah. right? There's got to be a sense of pride, but also like there's got to be so many great emotions there for you to see yeah. how everybody's sort of taken off. No, it is. It's, it's, it's cool. amazing. It makes me so happy. You know, like... And it's a testament to what this thing can be that you've been doing for all these years and talking about and starting up shows and doing all this stuff. Yeah. Because with this show, it comes back to that community connection that you were talking about mm -hmm. of why you wanted to be on Twitch in the first yeah. place and why you felt YouTube wasn't a good enough place for, you know, fostering communities. Yeah. <clears throat> to see that happen with this is like, okay, it's cool to have a successful show. It's cooler to have a successful show with a huge community that, you yeah. know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's the reason why I do it. And it's the kind of thing I miss now. Like, like I said, I'm in, I feel like I'm in transition. I'm trying to like, I don't want to go back to what I did before just to duplicate that success because you can never duplicate it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's aspects of it that I would wish I could have in my life as yeah. far as my own creativity go too. So, you know, I have a lot of projects that I'm working on. I work on, you know, some Hollywood stuff, producing that stuff, mm -hmm. writing. But at the end of the day, the thing that gives me the most fulfillment is like that community, um, you know, whatever community it is, the shared aggregated community that has been built over the years with all the guild and then, you know, Geek at Sundry and then turned into Critters and like all these different, mm -hmm. you know, this sort of like, not incestuous, but like connected yeah. communities. You know, I, I wish I could have my, uh, be able to have my voice in that community again, other than just like doing my own fun stuff. So. Mm -hmm. I think next year, you know, it's like me just looking for opportunities, but also being sure to be like, I'm doing something new, not going back to what I used to do, and also um, doing something where I could be like more of an artist in, in all of it. I totally understand that. You said next year, that's what you're sort of like setting I up. I mean, I'm trying like now, like I have it, my, my friend Ryan Koppel, who used to run Geek yeah, yeah, he and yeah. I are starting a new company together to like produce television, but mm -hmm. also like maybe other smaller creative projects. and. You know, I just want to scale in a way where I have a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, at the end of the day, I just, I would like, uh, it's, 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 I feel like everything kind of stems from me being a lonely homeschool girl in my house. Yeah. And so, you know, in some aspects of that, like, uh, I feel a little bit lonely sometimes where I'm in my house. I'm like, oh, I used to do so many things. Like, what am I doing next? And mm -hmm. so I finally gotten, like, with this book out, it feels like, oh, I'm through the weeds and I've kind of rebirthed and like, yeah. what am I going to do next? Yeah. I don't know, but I'm excited about a lot of things. What 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 that you can talk about are you super excited about? I have a couple of writing projects I'm doing right now. One of them, which will definitely be out next year. I mean, the book, of course, mm -hmm. is something. Uh, it's almost like I've almost let that go. It's out next month. So just kind of like 
looking at the space and like, where can I innovate? What are people not doing? Yeah. Um, especially for the community that I love. Through the years, like the things that I'm proudest of, like, you know, the Guild was about, like, let's give a voice to gaming the way I know it. Mm-hmm. And when I saw, you know, I would do conventions with Will and I was like, I would see him play tabletop games. I'm like, I don't know about this world, but I really feel like I want to learn more and show people this. That was a, su- a success. And like with Magic the Gathering, I like, I wanted to do a show. That was how Spellspringworks came because I was like, mm-hmm. I love magic, but I never could get into it before. I didn't know mm-hmm. how. And with D&D, mm-hmm. like you should, I love providing entry points for myself. It's yeah. really all just an agenda for myself. Yeah. How do I get to play this in a professional way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or introduce people to something they don't know they love, but they love. That's really my life philosophy. Yeah. And so kind of just sitting back and being like, well, what is next? Like, what is what is something that isn't being represented? And how do I do it in a fun more innovative way than just trying to get something made the traditional Hollywood way, which has so many blocks to it that even when you get to the end, it's just like they've sapped all the creative energy out of mm-hmm. it, you know, mm-hmm. because the stakes are so high and I get yeah. it. But it's that um, impromptu, like I'm doing a video, I'm just going to upload it kind of thing that really fueled me. When you're doing, because you've been able to do a lot of TV and cool shit like that. Yeah. Um, Supernatural, Mystery Science, we could go on and on and I could list your whole DM, IMDb. I mean, we'll just put it on the screen. Huh? It's too It's too long. It's I too look long. at it and I'm just like, wow, it's too like, long. <laughs> I didn't do half of it. I don't no, yeah, remember. Yeah, I'm like, God, it's really long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I'm like, I'm that girl that people just date, but they never put a ring on it. So I like do. I'm. It's kind of like, that's the many people I slept with. Like, it's a really long IMDb. <laughs> It's like, it's fine. We don't want you for more. We'll just kill you off. That's uh-huh. all. We'll move on. <laughs> uh-huh. I find, because uh, I dabble in that world, not very much, but I find myself, you know, craving the stuff that you have more control over. Because like you said yeah. a minute ago, by the end of the pipeline of a thing, that thing doesn't always resemble the dream that it set out as, no. et cetera, et cetera, right? And that's a given that we have learned to accept along with whatever position that we have been grateful enough or worked hard enough to have been given. We yeah, accept that given that there is a process at the end of this day, the day this thing is a product. It's not going to look, you know. Mm-hmm. But it seems I hear you saying that even though that thing is fun and it's fulfilling in a way for you, that you are really wanting to just get back to stuff where you have more creator control over it and you're able to also, it's at a scale where you can manage the response too yeah. and be able to take that in. And because you're somebody who listens to feedback and who like honestly wants to know how things are reflecting with people. Yeah, no, I mean, I love acting. I love, you know, I, I do enjoy it, but the business of acting and also uh, quite frankly, the roles that I'm offered are just not interesting. Like, Do you they, get like the best friend? No, I get like the mom of four who's a real estate agent and I'm just like do you not know me like no one's <laughs> mom of four it's fine I could technically agent. have four children but it's just like they're not interesting they're not nuanced they're not quirky they're not flawed and so you know it's it's I kind of and then you're going in and audition with the same people you've auditioned for for 20 years mm-hmm. almost and it's just like ooh, I feel like I'm going backwards and it's so disempowering and I have such anxiety I write about in this book my anxiety is uncontrollable. Like mm-hmm. it's just never going to go away. It's never mm-hmm. like you're getting over it. It's not. Yeah. And so I'm torturing myself and putting myself in unsafe positions. Mm-hmm. And the only roles that I've gotten over the years that I love have been just people who know me and they are like, hey, this is perfect for you. Because yeah. they get me. Yes. Hollywood's never going to get me. I yeah. get it, you know? And and so I think I've reached the point where I'm just like, I don't want to be misunderstood anymore. I'm not better than anybody. I'm just like, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, but you seem to me at peace with the idea that Hollywood is never going to get you. Yeah, 
I finally am, I think. And this it's been a very rocky journey. Of and course. that might change tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it's just like, well, I will be lucky enough to work. I do a lot of voiceover. Mm-hmm. I do some acting. It's enough. Yeah. But what really fuels me is the the the, the smaller stuff that I do that mm-hmm. really I can see the impact of what I make on an individual person. Yeah. ever thought about creating or writing or something a video game? You know, in the day, back in the day, we had people who wanted to do the guild as a video as game. As a video game? Yeah. That would have been cool. I know, it was, but it was just... Complicated. I, did, I know. I did everything on the guild. I did all the writing. And I was already at capacity mm-hmm. with the way that I was able to creatively work. Yeah. Because it was a constant thing. I wrote the movie, you know, I wrote the episodes, but there was always like videos. Mm-hmm. There was always extra content. There was always stuff. And then I was the face of it as well. Yeah. And I, at the time, it was just not the right timing for me. I wish I had done it. Yeah. And in retrospect, I was like, I wish I had learned how to scale a little bit better or done this, stop doing the stuff that I shouldn't have been mm-hmm. doing that robbed me of the time to be able to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I would love to do that. I was thinking the other day, I'd just do some twine games, you know, just for fun. Yeah, but it's, it's because I still have to, I have a baby to raise, so I can't just be a hobbyist. <laughs> of course, no, yeah. Speaking of, actually, did you always want kids or was it a thing that you arrived at, you know, somewhere else? No, the doctor told me I couldn't have them and then I just wanted one. <laughs> really? They told you that when you were younger or like uh, no, when you wanted when to start trying to, to try, have kids? yeah. And so, yeah, I had to do IVF. My yeah. baby was very expensive. Yeah, my sister, the same way. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. had several failed attempts mm-hmm. um, in, with IVF. So it was kind of heartbreaking. It was all kind of due to stress. Yeah. So that was another reason why I just had to kind of like make a big life decision. I have to get rid of some of the stresses in my life because mm. I need this to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad. Like, yeah. And then, you know, like I talk in my book a lot, like regret is always like, <laughs> It's a psychic in that it can retrospectively see what you should have done better. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if I hadn't done everything to this point, I wouldn't have my baby. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all fine. Everything's yeah. fine. And we just have to let that go Yeah, in a kind of Zen way. It, you know, all my friends with kids, their perspective in some way gets totally shifted when they have a mm-hmm. kid. What's that been like for you? I mean, I just, yeah, I think it's, I think it, part and parcel, it comes with like not pleasing people who are not going to be pleased mm-hmm. and just pleasing the people who are important to you. Yeah. And she's... When you experience unconditional love, you're like, oh, that's how the whole world should be, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, and also you have to let go of things. Like my identity was very wrapped up in digital and gaming and all these things. And I realized that a lot of that was conditional. The audience was conditional and we're all going to, you know, drift apart or whatever. But I need to be there for her Mm -hmm. no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, time, I don't get enough time to play video games. I don't get enough time to spend time with my friends. So that's a little bit of a loss. Yeah. Right. And so it is a big adjustment, but you find other things. And also you find when you start like chopping off things that are interfering with your time with your baby, then you're just like, well, maybe that wasn't that important, Mm. you know? Mm. And also you just can't do everything. Right. So I made this decision and I need to do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it at least to w- in, a, in a way that I don't feel guilty about? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And she's going to be three? Two and a half. She's two and a half. She's two and a half? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. She hates other people. She does? She she's has... at that stage? She's like, Mama, <laughs> I do not want other kids at the playground. And I'm really? like, mm, you know, we share the playground. She's like, I do not want another baby in this house. Like, I was like, that, where did that come from? Uh-oh. Like, she's a little too smart. <laughs> I was going to say, she's like picking up on stuff. 
What? No, I've never mentioned another child. It's no, not but I'm saying she's smart enough to know oh, yeah, that she reads it books. should another kid come in, I'm not going to no, like that. No, this is not going to be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She knows it's going to take away yeah. from what I'm getting right now. I can see you're going to have like five children. Stop it. Ashley's sister has five children. Well, oh! <laughs> when we met, she had two or three. She looks really fertile, Ashley. Like, just not in a, <sighs> a weird way, but I'm just saying she might just have triplets and then you're just like, whoa. Okay, let's rename... You're never weird on the internet to extremely online girl. Let's do another printing of it. I'll make billions of dollars and then I can on afford five children. Well, a book with my name on it because we'll have Felicia Day and then in much smaller <laughs> writing, we'll have title renamed by. What are the what are the things that, this is gonna change a lot because as, you, as your beautiful daughter gets older, these things, some of them will change probably, but what are the things right now as you're in charge of this human life and, and the shaping of it, I'm sure it calls back to your childhood and everyone goes, I'll do this different, I'll do that different. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what are the tenets for you of what you want to instill in her as the most important stuff? I love asking people this question wow. because it shows me so much about you too. And uh oh, it's a test. No, it's no, just about, you know, because I, yeah. I will not raise my kids with any of the this the strictures that were placed on me. Mm -hmm. The good ones, maybe, but none of the ones that mm, turned me into who I am today. <laughs> Which is not good because you're great I'm kidding, the way you I'm are. Kidding, I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Like, what what are those things uh, where you yeah. were like, I just want to make sure she knows this. I mean, you know? I'm very adamant about not kind of pressuring her to have performance be a condition for her to approval or self-worth. Mm -hmm. That's very important for How me. do you do that? Um, just not emphasizing, emphasizing the work of something mm -hmm. and not the end result of it. And also not overly praising some, you know, her when she uh, does something. I could be extraordinary, could not, but it's of like, course. it's not, praise is not something you should seek necessarily. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, you just did that. Yeah. Rather than like, oh my God, you're amazing. You know, like, mm -hmm. or just like putting her in situations where she's performing for people. Like mm -hmm. I, I I wanted her to be in ballet class and I took her to a couple where they're like, smile, you know, like look in the mirror. And I'm like, no, we're out of here. And then also uh, being an individual, you know, just really giving her agency in her life is super important to me. Realizing, not raising her for the strictures of like, um, as, as, a, as a woman or a girl, she is necessarily any lesser than a guy. And I I know that's, when you when you have a child, at least for me, it was a very eye-opening experience when you read children's books and every single one is a he. Mm. Like 80, 90% of them, even if it's, I'm sorry, you're a pair, why are you a he? You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. for real, but then you start, uh -huh. I always change them and I'll be able to get away with that until she can start reading. But you really realize like, oh, from birth, we are really institutionalized about how he works and how she works. And he is the dominant Point of view but i'm not a he so the world is a he world mm. like it's and mm. I, you know i don't it's it's very eye-opening yeah because we adopt these things and we yeah. adopt them in a weird way because when you change a he from from a he to a she like a she is usually not messy a mm. he a she is usually not misbehaving a she is usually not loud or funny and so you see these, and it's almost jarring when you're like, mm -hmm. she went and did, the, oh gosh, that doesn't feel right in my brain mm -hmm. because we've been conditioned that a character like that is not a woman. And so you, I, I see it from like day one. Um, this is what we learn. And this is how we learn the world works. Like if people started flying, they'd be like, yeah, everyone has wings and flies, right? Mm -hmm. Children don't know anything. Yeah, they don't yeah, know yeah. how the world works. So yeah. they're literally learning how the world is constructed mm -hmm. from birth. And we, if we ingrain that from a, a young age, then 
why would we not just assume when we're 20 that a guy is more important than us, right? Mm -hmm. Or their voice is, and they're going to assume, a guy's going to assume their voice is just more important in a meeting or whatever, mm -hmm. because that's what I've been told yeah. since they were two years old. Yeah. So like, it's none of our, a lot of this stuff is just institutionalized, right? Mm -hmm. And if we just took all children and cha changed the paradigm, then everyone would be raised with a different point of view of how the world works. Yeah. And that's what, we don't understand how very malleable society and point of view is. And so for me, that's super important to me because mm -hmm. um, I never want her to feel like she's not uh, as valid and equal as to anybody else, especially about gender, because yeah. it really is a lot of it is arbitrary. Yeah. Ashley said something interesting to me the other day. <clears throat> we were watching Fleabag. Oh, you fuck with Fleabag. Amazing. <sighs> she's amazing. Fleabag's my shit. And she said, Ashley was like, you know what? I love seeing badass women. Yeah. But I love seeing disaster, flawed <laughs> characters like that because, yeah. like you said, in the in the typical way, that's mm -hmm. not really how people were, you know, writing women and stuff like that. And they so, don't. That's they why don't. I was like, I don't, I can't audition. I don't want this doing this part. Mm -hmm. It's just boring. Because you're not somebody that's going to do something unless you really care about it. You just don't give a fuck. Yeah. You just don't give a fuck in that way. And that's what I've always respected about you, though. I know. Is you'll walk away it's from very something, risky. or you'll, <laughs> but it's risky. But like, I can tell you're happier though. Than if, you were, happier, yeah. than if you were chained to sort of that thing. And that's something I've always admired about you is that oh, you'll walk you. away from something or you'll walk into something or you'll make a decision. And even when people are saying like, ooh, the data, you're like, fuck the data. I've got this instinct that I just know, you know, because you've experienced it for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I try to, I, I think that I can put, pinpoint a lot of things in my career where I didn't go with my gut because mm -hmm. somebody gave me bad advice. And because of pressure, I conformed. Those are the, that's the only regret where I was like, okay, you can learn from that. Because my gut always tells me what I know is true with, for myself. Mm. I'm not saying I'm like some kind of like psychic, but I yeah. know that I, I can follow my own path. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying everything I've followed my own path has been a huge success, but I've been saying it was, it was the way that I needed it to be. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. I walk away, I've walked away from a lot of opportunities but I think they were all the right ones to walk away from because I would have been unhappy. Yeah, and it all them. comes down to that. Mm -hmm. In two and a half years, it's the biggest thing you've learned from your daughter. What's the biggest thing she's taught you? Um, that we can be happy under any circumstance if we're together. As long as there's no other fucking kids on the playground. <laughs> she, she's really funny. I love it so she much. She really does not like other children. <laughs> I'm like, I guess it's genetic. It is probably, right? She picked up on your energy. It's like they say a horse can tell when you're afraid or whatever. Yeah. Really? That's probably a bad a horse? example. Yeah, they say the horse can tell if you're afraid. So you have to be like, oh. I'm, no, I don't, I'm not trying to compare your kid to a horse. I mean, horses are cute. They're smart too. Really? And they kick well. I think horses are smart. I mean. I don't think they're very smart. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Sorry, horses. There's a lot of conversation going on right now about the state of the internet. Uh -huh. There's cancel culture. There's uh, people sign, uh, half a million or something, people signing a petition for HBO to remake the most expensive season of a television show in the world. There's, there's uh, you know, you tweet something and you think is just going to be whatever. And, you know, there's all this like different stuff, not just in the news, but there's always something going on there that I ask people this a lot because those of us that are sort of working on the internet and everything else, how do you think things there are, are right now? And where do you think, do you think this is going to get worse? Do you think it's going to get better? Will we reach a critical mass 
to where everyone is so offended and so upset by something that people just stop like putting stuff out there? Do you think that, cause it's causing some change, but then it's causing, you know what I mean? Everything is sort of, everyone's yelling all the time. Yeah. And people like us are trying to not, speak for me. I try to not yell and add to that noise. Mm -hmm. I try to just like slip through it yeah. with my own perspective and my own thing. And that's sitting here and asking storytellers questions or whatever we're doing here. You know what I yeah. mean? What do you, what, what do you, how do you feel about the state of things? I mean, I think things are really bad. I mean, I think they're bad in a sense where, um, you know, I used to preach the internet was a place for people who felt alone where mm -hmm. they are, could, could find belonging and connect with Connect, them. yeah. And that really is true for me still. But the opposite is it also white supremacists can connect with each other <laughs> and feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. And so we have this amplification of voice and connectivity where we are entrenching ourselves in who we are and to the to the dearth of understanding other people. So it's like we become like all these clans who like, you know, it's almost like civilization. We're just all mm -hmm. these small, closed off little things and like inevitably like we got to either have an economic victory or we have to have a martial victory or yeah. we have a cultural victory right? right so i think we're in the martial victory mm -hmm. path right now um i basically started divorcing myself a little bit from mass social media because i think it is dying mm -hmm. i think that the way it it is toxic to the culture it is unregulatable you have people making billions of dollars by radicalizing whole countries like Brazil. Right, right, right. And doing nothing about it. Right, yeah. And so at a, at a certain point, you know, when you're connecting people in a way where bad things are happening for society, someone has to step in, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, I can't help but feel impotent. Like me tweeting about children in cages by our government is not doing something but when i did a fundraiser and i raised over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, like that did something right and so i am in a privileged position where i can amplify my voice with things that i really feel are important but i also as a person realize that that's an impotent act as well mm. and so we feel powerless when we know we're yelling to avoid when there's not actual action mm -hmm. online action is not real yeah so if i go and do a beach cleanup that's going to do more even mm -hmm. if it's like a drop of the hat on a global scale i'm doing something yeah i'm getting out and i'm actualizing it mm -hmm. doing the fundraiser did something not retweeting doesn't motivate very many people to get off their couch and go do something yeah. right so Really, that's been a philosophy for me is taking online into offline and from the beginning with Geek and Sundry. Like, it was always about the parties at Comic-Con. It was always about the face-to-face -face stuff as well as the online stuff and facilitating that. And I don't think, you know, I think a lot of people miss that point. Yeah. So for me, it's like just taking a pause and like, what do I love about this? What, who can I give money <laughs> to? Who can I do an action in physical, with my physical body? What can mm -hmm. I do? Versus like this impotent sort of feeling of like, I'm doing something. Yeah. Like tweeting. The same, and, and then on the flip side, I've just shrunk where my heart is a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I have a Discord um, where I just hang out mm -hmm. with my fans. And like, I don't know, there's 6,000 people on there, probably 500 active at any time. Like, fine, that's fine. I don't need bigger. Like, yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. I'm not, I don't need to have my whole self-worth for Hollywood be on the millions of people. Mm -hmm. Yes, that number is important and it helps, you know, support my baby and also helps me amplify things that are important to me and helps amplify my work. So mm -hmm. I'm blessed with it. But I, I can't put my self-worth in that number that or shrinking or growing or the engagement. You know, I really don't want to have that life anymore. Yeah. So like just having a small Discord channel or a uh, smaller thing that I'm working on in a face-to-face in a -face way mm -hmm. or a person-to-person -person way is a lot more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. That's why I love watching you on Twitch. Just play video games because you're just having so much fun. Yeah, it I never look at back the number to that of people. Yeah, you don't I give just a don't fuck care. About like, that I shit. don't care. Like, you I don't, don't care. Like, I don't want people in the chat who are jerks. 
So mm -hmm. let's just keep it into a smaller club. Yeah. And that's fine. It's a lot more manageable that way. Yeah. Yeah. Before you get out of here. Look at epic interview. Jesus. Sorry. Do you want to leave? No, just hurry it up. Right. <laughs> uh, let's see. When you're sad and you want to be happy. Is this what, your James Lipton? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. What movie do you put on? And then I'll tell you mine. Oh boy, I don't really watch movies to make myself happy. I read a, like a... Well, what do you watch movies to do if not to make you happy? I don't really watch a lot of movies. I mean, like, I read a book with a lady and a sword in her hand, usually. That's cool, too. So, you That's know. That's cool, too. I love comedy. I like Airplane. Mm-hmm. Or, like, Babe. I love the, uh, dude, Airplane is so good. Or, like, uh, I really like black and white, like, gumshoe comedies. You know, like, mm -hmm. the screwball comedies, not gumshoe. <laughs> gumshoe? Screw like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Don Knotts. No. You like what do you got against Don Knotts? Horrible. From the Andy Griffith show, he's Glad dead. He's don't dead. say that. <laughs> what did Don Knotts do? Wait, did I miss a? I don't. Not, I just don't like him. Did I miss a biography just where he was not, secretly like a murderer of no, Denny's he was waitresses? A great or? Just as a kid, I did not like the way his Adam's apple looked. But I was oh, really weird. Oh God, his Adam's apple stuck out farther yeah, than his chin. Yeah, it bothered me. Right. I was like, is that a button? But he's dead. We're talking about about a dead guy. Now that you're saying, well, he's not going to watch this. Now that you're saying it, though, I don't know if I could go back and watch the only gun in the West or whatever. Because now was that, that was I'm that be your staring happy thing? at the fucking was, Adams. Was apple. that your was that your happy? Yeah, because my grandfather was a cowboy and he always wanted me to watch westerns and shit, and that's why I love okay. westerns now. And it's something that's really just like close to my heart. Exactly. Just kidding. I've seen one Don Knotts movie, and that's the one I was talking about. <laughs> What's your favorite band? Do you have a favorite band or do you not listen to music very much? I listen to, I'm not cool with music. That's like, but I love Erasure. I've seen them like concert like seven times. I'm kind of like, I love synth pop. Do you like Chiverches? I don't know that band. They're called Churches. Oh yeah. They spell Ch it oh, Chiverches. Yeah, Chiverches. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do like their music, but yeah. Janelle so what do you like that's synth pop? Cause I like synth pop too. Um. Don't quiz me on music. I'm not knowledgeable. I do. Uh, this is just how I end every one of these interviews. You looked at me in a piercing, challenging way, and I'm not going to rise to the bait. I just am not. I've never done this, but when you said the James Lipton thing earlier before we started rolling, I was like, all right, I'm going to end on some James Lipton ass questions <laughs> and see what, what the she smell does. Smell of your sorrow. <laughs> what is the smell of your sorrow? Is the most James Lipton fucking question in the world. What's the one about what do you want to hear God say when you get to heaven or whatever? Oh, yeah, that's the one, yeah. I, I always wanted to say, uh, I always wanted to say, uh, well, I would look up and uh, I hope he would look down and say to me, uh, oh, fuck, I, got, I thought we got rid of him. <laughs> what would you say if James Lipton, instead of me, picture, picture, a little bit older than me, much better okay. looking, but also bearded, maybe thinning up top a little more than I am with glasses. Yeah. And I asked you, Felicia, God, ex or what does he say? He says, if heaven exists. Where did you get those glasses? From right here. Why were they just there? They're in for, I, I end every episode with the James Lipton question thing, and I keep him here for the end. You look like uh, like drunk Harry Potter. <laughs> You're the third person to say that to me today, and it's the first time I put on the glasses. It's, not, it's like, what happened to Harry Potter? That poor guy. He got like scar revision surgery. What's your favorite curse word? Became a barista. Um... My favorite curse word uh -huh. is shithole. Really? I don't know. Mine is shatsline. Do you know what that means? No. It's a sexual position. 
Alicia, thank you so much for joining me. What? This has been Wait, what just happened? Outside the actor studio. <laughs> Are we done? Mm -mm. What just happened? I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Vietnam. <laughs> God. Now it just got interesting. You're just fucking loopy. What was in there? Moonshine? It was just like spray, but it was only in this little section. Okay, right? okay, so yeah, yours right is yours here. is yours is non-alcoholic. This yeah. is after the right yours after this was, is over, people yours, can see. Yeah, yeah. Mine was moonshine. Do you know about triple sec? So triple sec. Yeah. And we topped it off with a little bit of uh I think it was I think it was the uh You're more interesting than What's the generic uh, sprite? Lemon lime up. We're not allowed to say sprite. Fanta? You it can't was, say Sprite? No, nah, we can't say Sprite. Why not? They're very litigious. Really? No, we could say Sprite. I'm just kidding. I don't know if we can or not. There might be a lot of beeps during this part of the interview. We'll Maybe have to check with uh, Big Sprite. Do you know who owns Sprite? Coca-Cola. Frito-Lay. Oh, I thought Coca-Cola owned. I like 7-Up. Do you know who owns Coca-Cola? Um, the Frito-Lay Corporation. Really? So Frito-Lay owns everything? I have no idea. But you're buying it and I'm loving it. At this point, I just want to leave. Okay. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, tell me and tell others, because I'm fascinated, the book. Embrace oh, Your Weird. Yay. Pre-order starting. FeliciaDayBook.com. Uh, Felicia okay. And um, I'm going to be doing a book tour. Oh, my God, yes. A two-week book tour from October 1st to October 13th. Okay. So all the dates will be on the website, FeliciaDayBook.com. Awesome. And you can pre-order there. Pre-order there. Get the book. Go see you on the thing. Thank you for joining me. This hey, was thanks. amazing. You've been trying to get me on long. here forever. I'm I know. So I'm so glad it. it worked. I know. We have a weird rapport, though. What do you mean? It's like not chemistry. It's like an anti-chemistry. What is it? It's a. It's like a chemistry that sort of hits sometimes, and it's like it's like a skipping rock. I feel like we we hit a groove, and then we're like a skipping rock. It's tumultuous. Why do you think that is? Is it it's, because I'm so abrasive? It's Harry. It's very Harry Met Sally. It is Harry Met Sally. <laughs> Which one are you? <gasps> are you Harry Just or Sally? Just the orgasm. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of our show. To stay up to date on future guests joining me for a cocktail and conversation, follow at Critical Role on Twitter.